How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken healthcare system. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I believe that most diseases can be prevented or reversed, and I'm dedicated to empowering millions of people to go from disease and dysfunction into the healthiest lives they can possibly live. So today we're going to talk about a super important topic. It's a condition that affects about half the people in the United States alone. Half the people, mark that. And one in four of those actually gets it under control, usually with the use of medication. So this mystery disease that we're going to talk about today is hypertension or high blood pressure. That's a lot of people. And why do they have it? As we explore today, we're going to look at the genetic factors, the dietary risk factors, the lifestyle risk factors, and also what are some of the ways that we can approach and help people from a functional perspective to avoid the unnecessary use of medication and to be able to get their blood pressure under control. So what exactly is hypertension? Well, it's high blood pressure. Blood pressure that's above a threshold, usually considered about 120 over 80, Uh, Once the diastolic, the lower number, goes above 90, it's considered at least borderline or low-intensity hypertension. And once it gets up higher, then we're having full-blown hypertension. And medications are prescribed for people in all ranges of hypertension. Why is this so important to get under control? Well, the risk factors, the things that can happen as a result of high blood pressure are devastating. High blood pressure, hypertension can lead to strokes. It can cause the brain to stroke out, leaving people in various states of disability. And it can be deadly. We want to get it under control. People with hypertension tend to get headaches, really bad headaches sometimes. And we want to get this under control. We look at families and we go, lots of familial qualities to it. It happens in families. That could be because there's genetic factors or because the environmental factors are similar in families, the same diet, the same lifestyle, the same stress levels, or it could be a combination of both. And I believe that usually it's a combination of both. Are there specific genes that have been identified that can put people at risk for hypertension? You bet, there are. So I'm gonna explore a few of these. The first one I'm gonna talk about is called ACE, angiotensin-converting enzyme. So it's a genetic SNP that codes for this particular enzyme. And this enzyme converts angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2. And that affects the kidneys. And when the angiotensin 2 is released, it causes the blood pressure to go up. So when we can stop the conversion of angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2, then we can control the blood pressure. And there are medications that are designed to do just that. The other one that's also related to angiotensin is AGTR1. And common genetic variants in the AGTR1 will affect the expression of the angiotensin 2 receptor. 
and that causes the blood pressure to increase when there's a lot of angiotensin II in the system. So either one of these affects the angiotensin system and will cause problems with the blood pressure. We need the angiotensin to be lower in order for the blood pressure to be lower. AGTR1 also affects the way that the kidneys respond to sodium, and that can cause, again, cause the retention of fluid and cause the blood pressure to go up. Another one that's important is NOS, nitric oxide synthase. And nitric oxide is a vasodilator. When we have sufficient nitric oxide in the system, we have good vasodilation. So one of the causes of high blood pressure, hypertension, is vasoconstriction. The blood vessels are constricted, which means that as the blood is flowing through, there's some pressure, increased pressure, and that's what we call hypertension. When we have nitric oxide, and nitric oxide synthase is an enzyme that causes the production, synthase, the, the synthesis of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a natural vasodilator, and when we vasodilate, then there's less pressure going through because the blood pressure to go down. Nitric oxide in the endothelium, in the blood vessel linings, regulates the constriction of the blood vessels, as I said, but it also affects the stickiness of the platelets and leukocyte, white blood cell adhesion, which increases the risk of plaque formation. So another cause of hypertension is when there's something blocking inside of the vessel, whether it's a plaque that's coming out from the wall, or whether it's a plaque that's loose in the wall, or whether it's some sort of blood clot. So the NOS is important for dilating, but also for decreasing the amount of you know, fibrinogen, of the platelets getting stuck and the leukocytes getting sticky, which would increase the possibility of adherence of any one of those plaques or the, the clots that would cause an increase in blood pressure. The other mechanism for hypertension for increased blood pressure is when the sodium is retained in the system, which causes fluid to follow it. When we get an increase in the volume in the blood vessels, that's going to cause an increase in the pressure. So there's another SNP, CYP11B2, and it encodes an enzyme called aldosterone synthase. And aldosterone induces the kidneys to retain sodium and excrete potassium. And when we have too much sodium and not enough potassium, it increases the fluid retention and then it increases the blood pressure. So this is an important one. Aldosterone synthase is actually produced in the adrenal cortex, which is one of the reasons why stress increases blood pressure because it causes an increase in this aldosterone synthase. So the pathway where the aldosterone is used, the aldosterone comes down a pathway in the adrenals. It's done in the adrenals. It's the deoxycorticocortisone hormone that is produced by the adrenal glands. And it actually is downstream metabolite of progesterone. So the problem with this is it doesn't usually decrease sodium as much as compared to potassium. So when we have a SNP here and we have too much of these things or too little, we get an imbalance in the blood pressure. We get an imbalance with the kidneys and the way that they, the aldosterone causes the kidneys to retain. So therefore we can have increased blood pressure. As we said, the aldosterone, this whole enzyme is produced in the adrenal glands. 
And how does stress increase aldosterone? Well, it's stress is inducing the adrenal glands to either work overtime or get burned out. And if the blood pressure gets too high as a result of too much aldosterone, then you have various kinds of imbalances with the blood pressure. So CYP11B2 variants can cause problems with this area. What do you educate people to do? Well, what about things that decrease stress? Yoga, meditation, heart math, tapping. There's any number of things that they can do to decrease their level of stress and thus decrease their blood pressure. So what do we do if people have some of these SNPs? Well, it's important that we pay attention to diet, that we do some supplementation, that we reduce their stress, that we increase their sleep, and that we get them moving and exercising. All of these things have been shown to drop blood pressure. I've worked with people where I measure their blood pressure and it was elevated and then do heart math with them, help them to get their heart rate variability up, and then go back and recheck their blood pressure and it had dropped sometimes as much as 20 or 30 points within a very short period of time. So this stuff works, reducing the level of stress, teaching people how to tune in and connect to their heart, connect to their parasympathetic, get their vagus nerve activated. It's going to help with the blood pressure, especially when we have some of these SNPs. So what else? Well, there's certain diets that have been shown to reduce blood pressure. The DASH diet, lots of fruits and veggies and some nuts and seeds and very little animal foods, little but not very much, and no alcohol. These are super important. Getting the sodium and potassium balanced. Too much sodium, not enough potassium, and we have that blood pressure going up. Magnesium can be helpful. The particular form that's been most studied is magnesium glycinate. So magnesium can help here. Not as much as potassium. The studies show that potassium has a little bit greater an impact, but magnesium and magnesium deficiency can be crazy effective. There's something called natto, which comes from, well, it's a Japanese food, and natto kinase is a supplement. So either eating natto or taking a supplement of natto kinase will help break down clots. The doctor who discovered it or scientist that discovered this was unfortunately doing something he shouldn't have done, but it led to a great discovery. He was eating in the lab when he was working on some Petri dishes, and he had some blood clots that he was working on on one of the plates and he dropped a piece of his natto on there and he watched the clots start to dissolve. Further research indicated it was an enzyme in the natto called natto kinase. And so it's a really great supplement to use to bring down blood pressure. You just do have to just be careful like with anything else that you don't thin the blood too much. Same thing with omega-3 fats. If you take too many, you can thin the blood too much and you can lead to a bleeding disorder. Another thing that's a helpful supplement that you can also get in a lot of foods is nitric oxide. So nitric oxide is present in a lot of foods, including arugula. It's one of my favorite sources. And I've been in situations where I've eaten a lot of arugula. I was at a conference once eating a lot of arugula. And one of the vendors had strips where you can test your nitric oxide. And mine was off the charts high. And he goes, why do you have such high nitric oxide? I said, oh, I just ate arugula for lunch. He goes, oh, that would explain it. Right, so eating arugula, guiding people to eat more arugula. I use it instead of lettuce a lot of times or in addition to lettuce in salads, right? Beets are another sorts, beetroots. 
And so there are supplements that you can take. There's something called Neo 40 that is known to lower blood pressure, but it's really rather expensive, right? You can eat the foods, I believe, unless somebody's really, you know, in a desperate situation or they have lots of money and they don't want to deal with food. Um, so arginine combining with oxygen can result in, with the catalyst, NADH, niacinamide, adenosine, dinucleotide, hydrogen. So that is a niacin derivative. It happens in the Krebs cycle a lot, and it will produce nitric oxide plus citrulline. So you can actually take a lot of higher arginine foods as long as the person doesn't have a problem with herpes because that can aggravate it. So you don't want to do it when somebody's in the active state of herpes, uh, herpes zoster or some of the, the lip uh, or, or genital type herpes. Potassium is super important. You can have your client take potassium as a supplement or get it in food. There's a lot of foods that are rich in it. Unfortunately, some of the foods are high glycemic foods like potatoes and bananas, but it's also good in broccoli and avocado. So getting people eating more high potassium foods, more high magnesium foods, magnesium super abundant in green leafy vegetables and cacao, chocolate. So there's a lot of different ways to get that magnesium up. Taurine, one of the amino acids is super important and it's available as a supplement or it's available in certain foods. Vitamin B6, really good source of B6 and also B5, which are important nutrients for the adrenals, are a nutritional yeast. It's also high in protein. So I've been sprinkling nutritional yeast on my food. It's pretty easy. It's a kind of a cheesy kind of flavor. If people like Parmesan cheese and you can teach them how to make a nice Parmesan mixture that will help them with their vitamin B6, which is important for neurotransmitters, for hormones, and also for blood pressure. Uh, avocados are good sources, pistachios, acorn squash, bananas, quinoa, sunflower seeds, corn, Brussels sprouts, spring greens, chestnuts, hazelnuts, oranges, and tahini. All of those are good. Now you want to take into consideration the glycemic index and how sensitive people are to the sugar content of the foods and also to some of their food allergies. Another food that's really good for lowering blood pressure is CoQ10. It's found in olive oil. It's found in walnuts and hazelnuts and almonds and avocado, sesame seeds, broccoli, parsley, and soybeans. So there's a lot of these that are good in all of this. So we've talked about avocado in several of these different nutrients. We've talked about in terms of sesame seeds, tahini, one of my favorite things to make salad dressings with. So an arugula salad with sesame tahini over it, maybe a sprinkle of olive oil with a few walnuts on top can be an amazing food for helping people to lower their blood pressure. And garlic, which you can get anywhere, right? As long as somebody is sensitive to the sulfur-containing foods, garlic is an excellent addition. One of my favorite new ways of doing garlic is to ferment it. And there's instructions you can find and Google it, but I found a thing that looks like a rice steamer and you put loads and loads and loads and loads of garlic in it. It takes about 10 days and it turns black. And then it gets really soft in the middle and it's almost buttery. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And in addition to being good for blood pressure, garlic's important for the immune system. But the amount of raw garlic that it takes to give you a good immune response is pretty high, like six cloves. And I don't know about you, but I can't sit down and eat six cloves of raw garlic. I have to hide it. But with the fermented garlic, the black garlic, amazing. Black garlic, super expensive. So 
if you just get regular garlic and use a fermenter, it's dirt cheap by comparison. So those are some of the foods. We also need to look at stress management techniques like heart math, like meditation, like yoga, and tapping. All of these things to help bring the sympathetic, parasympathetic balance back to decrease the blood pressure. And uh, finally, exercise. You know, we know that blood pressure can go down. It might go up a little bit right after exercise, but over the next few hours, it usually drops below baseline. So exercise and exercise multiple times a day. Have people do walking two, three times a day, 10 to 15 minutes. That's going to lower their blood pressure overall. And finally, let's talk about measuring blood pressure. In the previous episode, we talked to Dr. Ellie Campbell. We talked a lot about blood pressure, and she said there were some mistakes that doctors were making in terms of measuring blood pressure. So go back and listen to that episode and find that out. Dr. Joel Kahn always recommends you take the blood pressure three times because it takes a little bit to get you going from transition from that you know, sympathetic state that you're in most of the time into parasympathetic. And a lot of people go into the doctor's office and they have white coat hypertension. But if you actually follow these guidelines and let a person sit quietly, go in after five minutes and then take the blood pressure three times in a row and see where it falls. So blood pressure is a really important issue and we need to address it. It's clearly at an epidemic state where half the people are suffering from hypertension and only 25% of those are actually maintaining it. Some of them because they're taking blood pressure medication. Some of them are not taking blood pressure medication and they could benefit, but most of them are not doing these diet and lifestyle things that you are uniquely capable of teaching them how to do. You have the power, we have the power to help people take control, take charge of their lives, get some of these high risk behaviors out of the way so they no longer at a high risk for hypertension, which can lead to stroke and other kinds of cardiovascular accidents. And take charge, teach them how to eat, teach them how to supplement, teach them how to meditate, how to exercise, identify their SNPs, do a 23andMe or a self-decode or some sort of gene analysis and determine, do they have the NOS3? Do they have the AGT? Do they have any of these SNPs that would predispose them to hypertension? Do they have the ACE, the angiotensin converting enzyme SNP? Do they have the AGTR1, which helps to increase the reception of the angiotensin receptors? The NOS, NOS3 is usually the one that's reported, but that's an important one for nitric oxide synthase. And then CYP11B2, which encodes for aldosterone synthase. All of these are important and all of these are things to take into account when you're working with people, especially when you take the blood pressure or they report to you that they've been treated for hypertension and they have some cardiac, they have some lipid abnormalities, they have blood sugar. These people are at high risk. So it's up to us to help them, empower them to take charge of their health, to take charge of their life, to get them on the right diet, the right supplement regime and the right stress management techniques are going to help them live a happy and healthy life. So you want to get more in depth. There's other podcasts. We had one with Dr. Ellie Campbell. I think it was episode 89. And it was a really good episode talking about hypertension. And she has a great new book coming out on that. You can also go to imemethod.com where we have amazing resources for 
practitioners and also my blog at drinamarie.com slash blog. Lots of great articles. So take charge, empower your clients to be as healthy as they can be. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.